20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And, of course, you can check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I am Kyle Fellows, and I am here with my co-host, Andrew Mertig. It is Friday. We are back, and we are ready for another great show, Andrew. Yeah, it, it's it's great to be back. I think the offseason maybe drags a little bit more during the week than uh, what we had during this really fun season. But it's episode 555 of the Pack-A-Day podcast nice. today, which is like three Paul Hornings in a row. Or <laughs> one Paul Horning and a Desmond Bishop. I'm not really sure how that works. But 555, that's really cool. And um, as we're creeping in on the two-year mark, uh, we, we talked about a the start to a long off season last week. And I feel like we really get to dive into some great stuff starting today. Uh, we have a positional breakdown. If, if you've been listening, uh, the team is going through position by position. So we're going to take a look at one of those groups today. And I think we're going to do some fun stuff to talk about how the Packers can improve that group. Yeah, absolutely. As Andrew said, we are here to review the Packers 2019 wide receivers today. And if you haven't listened to the podcast the last couple days, make sure you change that. Go back and listen to Wednesday and Thursday's show to hear how the QBs and the running backs fared in 2019. Uh, But today is all about those wide receivers. And so to get things started, the Packers got started today on making some big changes at wide receiver. This news broke just a couple minutes ago before we started this podcast. Uh, Packers have moved on from wide receivers coach Alvis Witted. And so it looks like Green Bay will have new talent and new coaching at the position of wide receiver in 2020. So uh, we just wanted to kick off the show by talking a little bit about this move and what it might mean going forward. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think it's going to surprise any of the listeners that as we were prepping for this show, one of the things that stands out is the lack of impact that you saw um, and potentially the lack of development. Of course, we don't always know everything that's going on. Um, there was one big injury that hampered this unit, and um, but certainly across the board, you didn't see the kind of development that you would hope to. And I guess one thing that I'm sure Twitter will be all a flutter with by tomorrow when the podcast is out. But the the first thing that stuck out to me is the San Francisco 49ers are playing on Sunday. And we never really know what the contract situations are for assistant coaches. But the San Francisco 49ers passing game coordinator is Matt LaFleur's younger brother, Mike LaFleur. And so you wonder, would, would that be a potential fit if his contract was up and or if Kyle Shanahan changed his mind and let uh, Mike LeFleur potentially explore another opportunity? Yeah, it would really be interesting to see if that would be the case. And, you know, if you win the Super Bowl, that may be a place where, you know, the Niners are as happy as they could ever be and maybe a place where they would allow him to do just that and move on uh, to join his brother in Green Bay. I thought one of the the headlines was interesting because it clarified that Matt LaFleur will begin that search for the replacement at wide receiver coach next week. And obviously we're at the end of the week here. And so that may mean nothing, but obviously there are going to be some coaches that may be on the market next week uh, that aren't right now. So having some fun there talking about uh, Mike LaFleur and what could be uh, maybe not, but you know, just, just 
what could be possible as we look at putting this coaching staff together for 2020. Yeah, so, I mean, I, it doesn't have to be Mike LaFleur, but certainly that's going to be a really critical hire for Matt LaFleur and the Green Bay Packers offense to really help shape the direction of this position group. And and as we dive in, there's, there's lots of improvement that uh, could be done. Yeah, absolutely. And a big part of that, making this team better, is going to be addressing this wide receiver group for the coming season. So we have a lot to get to in this show today, uh, but let's get started at the top with this position group and kick things off with Devonte Adams and the season that he had. Yeah, and obviously Devonte is on another level from the other wide receivers, and he took yet another stride towards being one of the game's best pass catchers. It was a little disappointing to just miss out on a thousand yards again. I'm sure that's kind of frustrating because we all like those nice even numbers. But if you take out the the four games he missed, um, and and you started to do some calculations, if he would have remained on the same pace throughout that for a 16 game schedule, he would have had over 1,300 yards receiving and about seven touchdowns. That yardage total would have put him at fourth in the league in receiving yards and just missed out on third. So you're talking about a pretty impactful performance there from Devante. It's especially impressive he has been able to be as dominant as he has, considering the Packers haven't really had a big threat opposite of Devante in a while. And that's why I've used that DeAndre Hopkins comparison for a couple of years, because he's good and he can do it without much assistance around him. But it will be the ability of Brian Gutekunst to get a threat opposite of him that I believe will determine this offense's success next season. Yeah, so next up is MVS. And really, I think it's hard to find anyone on the Packers roster who had a more disappointing season than MVS. We started the offseason with big questions about who would emerge as wide receiver two, really between Valdez Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown. And of course, ESB had the injury that, I mean, really many of us thought that that would be kind of the tiebreaker and that MVS would go on to have a really that breakout season that we were all hoping for. And we saw some flashes of that early in the season, but as time went on, it was fairly apparent that Rodgers' trust in MVS and really maybe the coaching staff as well had kind of soured with MVS. His snap count is really interesting to kind of take a look at over the course of the season. He was playing the majority of the offensive snaps for the first half of the season, and then things changed quite a bit. Uh, Valdez Scantling played in less than 26% of the offensive snaps in the final five games of the regular season and he only got five snaps in the Seattle playoff game and just one singular snap in the NFC championship against the 49ers so unfortunately the arrow is not really looking up for MVS and it's one thing for Rodgers to not trust his receiver but it's a whole other deal if that receiver is not seeing the field so to me it, it feels like this coaching staff has kind of moved on from MVS we've already talked about you know coaching changes and those kinds of things and that may shift this picture a little bit um, but they obviously know as a coaching staff that they need speed out there which MVS has but they're still evidently not super convinced that he helps the offense even even with that speed. Yeah, and I mean, we, we've seen plenty of wide receivers develop after two to three years in the league, and so I, I don't think anybody's ready to give up on MVS quite yet, but um, this is definitely going to be a make-or-break year. 
No, I was just raising my hand because I was saying I was ready to give up on MVS. Oh, I see. I thought you wanted to talk. <laughs> no. Yeah. If, okay. If Are I you ready talk, right now? Are you I, saying you're done with MVS? Yeah, I'm. I'm ready. I think in public. In this public. is being recorded. Yes. You're, you better hope that he doesn't end up being the next Devonte Adams or the next host or the next guest on the Pack a Day podcast. Well, we could we could try for that too, but yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyways, I I have the next player, and uh, he can simply be introduced as none other than Mr. Alan Lazard, who came out of nowhere and made a massive impact on this offense. So remember, he was cut at the end of preseason and then re-signed to the practice squad. Whew. Good move there. Uh, it didn't take long after getting called up uh, to start making an impact. In fact, it was Kyle's very first time at Lambeau Field against the Lions where Alan Lazard broke out. Uh, you know, when I'm looking at him, he has good size, good route running skills, good hands. He's impactful in the blocking game. And maybe most importantly, he seems to have developed a rapport with Aaron Rodgers. So he's one of two players who I'm certain will be back at wide receiver next year. Now, like... I firmly believe you want Lazard as your number four receiver more than your number two, but he should have a role in this offense if he's healthy. Yeah, definitely. I really enjoyed getting to watch Alan Lazard, not only in that week six game against Detroit and uh, his coming out party there, but really all season. That was one really, really nice story, unexpected story that the Packers got to experience this year. But uh, Jake Kumaro, um, you want to jump back here, Andrew? No, I, I, I was, I was gonna give you props for being like the first person that I ever heard being really in on Alan Lazard. Like you were super excited when they picked him off off of waivers last year. So I was gonna pay you a compliment. Hey, man. And then, and then uh, you jumped forward. So then I wasn't gonna pay you a compliment, but you noticed. So. Oh, okay. Good job. Well, good, good job, man. Kyle. We just do what we're best at. Our best thing is interrupting each other. So <laughs> talk about Jake Kumaro now. Let's talk about Jake Kumaro. Um, Jake Kumaro, I would say, has been equal parts folk legend and wide receiver. I think fans really wanted him to take off this year, and he did some nice things. He played on 30% of offensive snaps, which really seems high to me. Um, but he ended the season with 12 receptions and 219 yards. Uh, Jake graded out relatively poorly for pro football focus, but he did post one number that I found really, really interesting. Uh, Kumaro was the highest graded run blocking wide receiver in the league, which might clue us into why Matt LaFleur continued to roll him out there for so many of the team's offensive snaps. Uh, but 2019 was clearly a season in which there was space for wide receivers to really step up and fill a void. And so if Jake was going to develop into a serious offensive fixture, I think we would have seen that this season. So unfortunately, I think we've kind of seen what Kumaro is. I think he's a wide receiver five, wide receiver six on an NFL roster that contributes on special teams. And it's really, really fun to, to pull for. But unfortunately, I think that's about all we're going to get out of Jake Kumaro. Yeah, and I I was personally just like fed up with all the hype, and I didn't think Jake Kumaro was a particularly good player. But there's a lot to lead me to believe that he will be on this roster next year. Um, and I think the last thing you said is the most important. He turned into a really good special teams player towards the end of the year, um, an impact guy. And so um, that's something that's definitely going to work in his favor. I think he's just he's just solid. And um, that run blocking factor 
yeah, on, on an offense that seems to want to rotate receivers. Now we'll see what happens next year when hopefully the talent level is higher. Um, but if they continue this rotation of receivers, you would think that you want these guys who are, are going to be the better run blockers. And so maybe he's carved out a role. Um, somebody who maybe hasn't carved out a role is one Mr. Geronimo Allison. And here's the problem with you assigning me Geronimo Allison. <laughs> I actually really, really liked him. Uh, when they signed him as an undrafted free agent. However, for me, he's become the Jarrett Bush of this generation of players. And I just really can't stand him. I can't stand him. Um, <laughs> which, which is hard for me because he was one of my, like, undrafted... Like, usually I cling to these undrafted guys forever. Sam Shields. Got a Sam Shields jersey as soon as I could. He, nice. he will be one of my favorite players for forever. Uh, Gmo has just fallen off. And, and here's why. Um, good GMO is a good run blocker. He runs good routes. And he's somebody that Aaron Rodgers seems to trust for some reason. But bad GMO is he's an unathletic receiver who has trouble with his hands, which seems like pretty much the worst combination you can have at wide receiver. I, I want to believe Green Bay will find enough talent that Geronimo won't have a spot on the team anymore, but there seems to be something keeping him around, despite what I think. And even though there's a lot of redundancy with what he brings, and I don't think the peaks are high enough to to make up for the lows, uh, there's something that's that's keeping him on this roster. Maybe it's just the connection with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that might just be it. And I feel like every time that I'm ready to move on um, from Geronimo Allison and just just admit that he is not a player that I hope that he is similar to you. Uh, he makes some crazy play like he made in that Seattle game where he digs the ball off the turf and just really makes an incredible play at just the right time. So we'll see. Part of me does think that like we'll see him back on this roster next year for whatever reason. He just has that connection, but we'll have to wait and see uh, what his future is with the Packers. Um, we've now reached the portion of the show where we talk about the guys that could have contributed, but really didn't for a variety of reasons. And I've already mentioned Equinemius St. Brown and what it, what could have been for him in 2019 if it wasn't for that ankle sprain that occurred in the preseason. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see uh, what this fall has in store for ESB and if he's able to make an impact and make this team. Another name that many thought might work their way onto the field and play some meaningful snaps was Ryan Grant, the wide receiver. Um, but that never really happened either. It's interesting uh, that Green Bay picked up Grant right around the time that Alan Lazard started to earn some playing time. And so that could have affected the Packers' need to try to get him on the field. Uh, but Andrew, are there any other names maybe that we need to mention here as guys who could have contributed maybe, but uh, just for one reason? or another didn't do that there absolutely are but before i get to them you know i love me some equanimous in <laughs> fact i made some over-the-top claims about how good he was going to be this year and i truly believe that he had a chance to even solidify himself as a pretty darn good number two in this league and i'm nervous to see how he's going to come back from his injury and if Green Bay can be patient with him, if it takes a little bit of time to recover some of his athleticism, knowing that they're probably going to be bringing in some new players, because he could be really special. And he's actually still really young. Um, and uh, I'm I'm just really excited about him. I also just want to ask the question, like, how bad is Ryan Grant that he couldn't <laughs> be active on this team? What was yeah. going on with that? The Ryan Grant I saw in Indy and in Washington, like, 
could have played on this team. Right. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the story is there. Perhaps we'll never know, but that is interesting. So I have to talk about the practice squad guys uh, who are one Mr. Darius Shepard and one Mr. Malik Taylor. Shepard had a really nice lead up to the season. We liked him um, throughout the preseason and, and even before that uh, in training camp, but, but looked out of his element when the regular season started. He struggled on special teams. He made some costly mistakes at receiver. I'm interested to see if he can kind of redevelop that confidence because he certainly has the talent to be that returner slot guy in the NFL. I know less about Taylor, but he is another guy on this team that Brian Gutekunst got got that has a really high RAS score. Uh, He ran a 4.46 40-yard dash. And after a year on the practice squad, it'll be interesting to see how he competes with whoever they're bringing into next year's camp because certainly – uh, one of the things that's lacking with this wide receiver group is some speed, and uh, Malik Taylor has speed. Yeah, we definitely do need to see an influx of speed in this group, um, and so we need to talk about some changes that are coming. And so I want to ask you, Andrew, you know, we've talked about where we've been in 2019. We need to talk about where we're going and what changes are going to be made. What do you expect, Andrew, for the Packers to do to make this wide receiver group a little bit better this offseason? Well, there's some really obvious names out on the free agent market. You get guys like Robbie Anderson, Emmanuel Sanders, Nelson Aguilar, Devin Funches, uh, even Randall Cobb. And uh, I really don't like the idea of the Packers going after a free agent wide receiver unless they can get a lower price one. And that is because, number one, I don't like when teams have two high-priced wide receivers on their roster. And Believe it or not, even a guy like Devin Funches is going to cost you a pretty penny on the free agent market. Number two, I think the ridiculous depth in this draft means you can get two to three impact players uh, without having to spend that cap space, and then you can utilize it somewhere else that you actually need it. However, if they wanted to go for a more budget-friendly free agent, I'd like somebody like Philip Dorsett. That's kind of my highlighted number one name. But then there's also guys out there like Chris Hogan or Danny Amendola, Uh, And I just realized all three of the people I mentioned have Patriot ties, so I probably should rethink this, but (laughs) I will stop now. Andrew looks like he's going to get sick over there trying to steal players from former (laughs) Patriot rosters. I don't know why I like all those guys. Oh, yeah, because I see them play, like, in every playoffs for the last. (laughs) Yeah. No, but Philip Dorsett would definitely be interesting. I mean, there's no limit to the amount of speed that you can have on a roster and the creativity that I think that this offense could could uh, have with some guys like that. So even if you brought in a young guy, paired him with a guy like Philip Dorsett at a good price, that'd be that'd be intriguing. Oh uh, man, if if the Packers paid Devin Funches money, like money, like I don't even know how much, that would be really depressing to me. Just the the other ways that they could spend money. I think you're right on the ball here. Just that we need to use our money better than that and not pour it into aging receivers, especially considering this draft class. But for me, it's really interesting to look at this wide receiver position through the eyes of Brian Gutekunst. Um, In 2018, Goody threw late round darts at guys like Jamon Moore, MBS, and St. Brown. And now obviously no one's going to be super critical of late round flyers, uh, but Gutekunst is now kind of in a place where he has to accept the fact that none of these guys are going to be wide receiver too. And there's a chance that maybe only one, maybe none of these guys will be on the roster in 2020. And it's also interesting that Goody prioritized big wide receivers in that draft. 
We also know that he was targeting wide receivers like Allen Robinson and free agency. So it will be interesting to see if he pivots from that mold at all in this year's draft and in free agency. Um, but it's absolutely not a secret that the Packers were interested in a wide receiver at the trade deadline this year. So we know that they know how big of a talent gap the Packers have at the position and nothing has changed, right? And so I would expect a pretty big overhaul in general, but it will be interesting which avenues the Packers will pursue to make those changes. And that's what we'll be paying attention to in these next couple months leading up to the draft and free agency and those kinds of things. Yeah, and it's really interesting. You know, most most of the best general managers are really in touch with the preferences of their head coach and, and what kind of players they like on their roster. And if you look back uh, historically at where Matt LaFleur has coached, you know, when he was in Washington, they had a, a couple of small, really, really fast wide receivers. In Atlanta, they had bigger guys on the outside, but they 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 found ways to utilize people like Taylor Gabriel, mm-hmm. that smaller, quick receiver. Um, you know, in Los Angeles, certainly the the smaller, faster receiver, uh, where they had a ton of success. And Tennessee might be an exception because their offense was sort yeah. of all over the place. But um, it, it it will be interesting. And and certainly you don't expect that Matt Lafleur has the same ideology of the places he's been in the past to a T. But um, it will be interesting to see if you know. Gutekunst certainly seems to have a type, and if he would um, go away from that a little bit. So uh, one of the things that we want to talk about, who are the locks at the wide receiver position to be on this team in 2020? Um, and I'll, I'll start just really quick. Uh, obviously, Devontae Adams, that's not going to surprise anybody. To me, I think Alan Lazard is a lock. Um, and I think just because of everything he brings, that he's a really solid, uh, you know, hopefully number four option, maybe number three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Adams is Adams, and Lazard is an exclusive rights free agent, so there's really no financial reason that he wouldn't be back. He's a great piece for this team, especially for the price. Uh, but I feel like everybody else is kind of up in the air. And, you know, we talked about MVS and, you know, I threw some shade at MVS and he obviously could have a role for this team. Um, but I really think anything else is possible. Uh, but, Andrew, I think you're uh, ready, maybe, to help us take a look at just a couple ideas of how the Packers might add some talent to the wide receiver room this offseason, especially maybe through the draft. Yeah, and one of the things that, that Kyle and I have explored doing as like a constant segment to to really lead us up to the draft is what we call a one-position mock draft, where you go through and you make every single pick for the Green Bay Packers, but you make it at only one position. So, you know, you, we would start this series out by we would both only pick quarterbacks at each pick. And the reason why you do something like that is you see depending on how the draft develops, what kind of player can you get in each round? So obviously things are going to change drastically um, as far as where players are prioritized. But I just wanted to do one of these as a sample. We will revisit wide receivers later on in the draft process uh, when, you know, the, the other bigger um, things that, that justify draft position have gone on. Um, but I just wanted to show up front how deep this class is and why the Packers maybe don't have to spend the kind of free agent money that you would think um, that, that normally you would when you have a position that 
uh, struggled as much as the Packers wide receiver group in 2019. So I just went through a quick mock draft. I was taking the players that I viewed as as the best overall at their position. And so, you know, in the first round, we see wide receiver Justin Jefferson from LSU fall to pick 30, who's very, very good in a lot of drafts in the past and wouldn't make it that far. But this class is so deep. Uh, in the second round, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. Last week, Kyle was gushing about Ayuk um, as we were doing our Senior Bowl preview, and he is super good. I, I got done with this tape during the middle of the week, and I know you and I uh, messaged back and forth a little bit about how much I like him. Him in the second round would be like a dream. Even if the Packers took a first a first round wide receiver, if Brandon Ayuk is sitting there at 62. You snatch him up and you just feel fortunate. Now you, who who <laughs> needs inside linebackers? Because the Packers are going to score 40 a game. Um, <laughs> in the third round, uh, wide receiver Tyler Johnson from Minnesota fell there. In any other year, this guy is not making it out of the second round. But Tyler Johnson, really good player but doesn't necessarily possess all of the physical tools that uh, some of the other guys around him do. Uh, you know, in the fourth round, there's wide receiver Colin Johnson from Texas, just a massive dude, really good receiver. We saw him at the Senior Bowl. Uh, you know, Quintez Cephas from Wisconsin fell to the fifth, another incredible value. Uh, you know, JT, uh, J.D. Spielman from Nebraska, the son of the Vikings GM, that's a, <laughs> that's a stick it to him pick. Uh, do really, really good route runner lacks some athleticism, but like really good hands, really good route runner. Uh, you know, later on, I found two Ohio state guys, wide receiver, Austin Mack, wide receiver, Benjamin Victor. Uh, and in the seventh, a guy like Aaron Fuller from the university of Washington is there. And this is like a super, he's, he's a little quick twitchy guy. And we talked about maybe Brian Gutekunst doesn't like those kind of players, but Man, like that's some crazy depth. I know most of the listeners aren't going to know a lot about all of these guys, at least not yet, and maybe not even when the draft rolls around. But these are really high-quality players. We're, we're seeing guys who probably have mid-round grades that in the current mocks are slipping into the late rounds. We're seeing guys who have like day two grades that are slipping into the fourth and fifth. And, and Justin Jefferson, I mean, that guy would be like a teens, early 20s pick in any other draft. Like the idea that he's probably, well, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but he might might be available at 30. And if he's not, there's going to be somebody who is really, really, really good still there and even into that early second round. And so, man, this, this draft class is loaded. If, if you're following me on Twitter, you see me dropping my individual draft profiles. I, I throw in some videos of each prospect, and I've made it through Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs, LaVisca Chenault, K.J. Hamler, and T. Higgins. And I have Jalen Rager, uh, Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, Denzel Mims coming up in the very near future. I actually have them done. I just don't like to post too many of them at the same time. And I rate each prospect on a scale of zero to 100. I, I give route running 30 points, acceleration, deep speed, contested catching 15 points each, uh, 20 points for run after the catch, five points for blocking. And, you know, basically my goal in doing this grading is to create something kind of consistent that I can reuse with each prospect. And I've gone through 10 wide receivers so far. And I will tell you, of the 10 that that I've watched the tape on, I would say eight of them probably are first round values. Wow. Like it's incredible. So That's insane. 
Yeah, and and so this is, you know, we, we talked about the position. It was a frustration all season long. And I think it's something that we can actually get really excited about this offseason, that, that the Packers have some options to address this position. Maybe it's through free agency. More than likely, it's going to be with one or more draft picks. And there's certainly some talent here to add to that position group and make sure that it isn't as much of a frustration in 2020 as it was in 2019. Anything else to add? No, I think that's good. The only thing I was going to say is I watched Tyler Johnson today. You talked about he was your third-round value that you found. And the only thing I can think of with Tyler Johnson, an incredible wide receiver, great, great route runner, really, really amazing that he could even be available in the third round. But I just thought, you know, he's never going to get picked by Brian Gutekunst because his name is Tyler Johnson. It's like it's like too boring, right? Like, so we, <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have Marquez Valdez-Scantling. We have... Equinemius St. Brown, like we have Alan Lazard, like he's not going to pick Tyler Johnson. So I like made myself do the work, but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if he picks a guy named Tyler Johnson. So then Justin Jefferson's probably not on the board either, huh? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. He's surrounded by guys like LaVisca Schultz, right? (laughs) Maybe, maybe we can find a predictive matrix that takes into account consonants and names uh, mixed with Raz score, and then we will know exactly who Brian Gutekunst is going to be picking. That's right. You got closer at the end because you had Quintez Cephas. I was like, that's close. Like, he, he might that's do that. Good name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, anyways, that's that's all the time we have for today. Uh, I believe we've officially run out of things to talk about. This is nice. this has been the Packer Day Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packer Day Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. On tomorrow's episode, we're going to get a breakdown of the 2019 performance by the tight ends. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. And next week, we'll be taking a look at how the Packers cornerbacks performed over the past season thanks for listening and as always remember keep